It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us, 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And I can already see some texts and having some calls coming in about the debate last night. Did you watch the debate last night? I think there was a bit of renewed interest in the debate because, of course, Mary Lou MacDonald was invited to attend up to to a little over 24 hours before that debate it would only have been Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin we'd seen that all before the week the week before the very first debate a lot of people weren't very impressed with the first debate it just it needed a bit of oomph or something it was just a bit flat and a bit stale and we heard people falling asleep in the middle of it and people switching off in the middle of it and I remember thinking I watched the first one I remember thinking because I knew RTE would you do the second one thinking I wonder will RTE be on the phone to Mary Lou just to see will that just just add a bit of excitement into it and, and get you know get more topics debated instead of just two people sniping at each other a third always makes it a little bit uh, better and I did mention yesterday when we were when I was talking about it with uh, Fiona Corcoran our news reporter that there was the fear and that the boys, Leo and Hall, would gang up on Mary Lou. And I think they had to be very careful not to do that because it would almost come across as bullying. I'm not saying that they would go out to bully her. But if you had two men pouncing on top of the one female in the debate, that's what it would be perceived as. And I think they were both warned by their handlers. I don't think they were listening to me or anything yesterday. But I think they were both warned by their handlers. Be careful. You'll have to attack Mary Lou. And obviously they were going to be attacking each other's policies as well. But they had to be very, very careful with their attacks on Mary Lou. And I think at times that worked for Mary Lou because I think there was sections of the debate where she seemed to get a good run. You know, both Leo and Hall I think, were afraid uh, to pick her up on it. But I mean, certainly the statement and the comment of the night has been won by, the point scoring has been won by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar because he said that Fianna Fáil, allowing Fianna Fáil back into power, he likened it to letting John Delaney run the Football Association of Ireland in nine years at time. Now, I don't know who came up with that line. Maybe it was Leo himself or was it one of his handlers or one of his spin doctors, Leo Varadkar, compared Fianna Fáil to the controversial football uh, chief during the debate last night when they were debating the economy. It was the economy section of it. The Fianna Fáil leader had, was saying that Sinn Féin's economic plans were based on magic money coming from a fairy tree. Micheál Martin said people would be taxed out of existence under Sinn Féin's financial plans 
and said that would lead to investment leaving Ireland. Mary Lou came back and said that the political establishment would find every reason under the sun to provide breaks and reliefs for big corporate entities. She went on to accuse Micheál Martin of trying to mansplain the economy to her. I thought that was a great line for, from her as well uh, when he criticised her party's tax plan and then of course Leo Varadkar interjected uh, to compare Fianna Fianna Fáil to the former FAI chief uh, executive and it was certainly one of the big point scores of the night and Twitter ignited after that particular one uh, for sure. Some of your comments coming in uh, to us. Uh, Patricia, watching the debate last night, it took a long time to get to the real problem, which was the health issue. They brought the, and let's call a spade a spade, it was confidence in the Minister for Health that brought down the government. Also, the idea that staff shortages would keep nurses and doctors on their toes to get more out of them. That was mentioned last night. No wonder all our young staff are flying out and we are left with an ageing population of nurses and uh, doctors and we are losing a lot of young doctors and young nurses and many of them will cite and will say it's because of the pressure they're under when they're working in our overcrowded uh, hospitals. And Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear, last night's debate, the quote of the night, uh, Michael says, for me has got to be from Leo when he said putting Micheál Martin back in charge was like putting John Delaney back in charge of the FAI. A statement that was never more true at such an important time of this country. Mary Lou did well with her fairy tale dreams of change, a change that will have to wait for another day as she's not got the significant numbers in order to lead a government. End of story. All she's trying to achieve is to prevent and wreck any chance of a strong, stable government in this country, which it needs right now more than ever. I would ask the electorate to seriously consider who they vote for and in reality what they are voting for and stop dreaming dreams that will not happen at such a crucial time for our country with the most crucial part of Brexit imminent forward we need our country to go not uh, Brexit so Michael trying to get people to think of Brexit when you're going to the polls and who will be best uh, to handle Brexit I'm sure I saw a piece was it the Irish Times again did it with their Ipsos MRBI opinion poll when they were asking people what, you know, what are the big issues? What are people most worried about? And it's health and housing. Uh, they remain the voters' most important issues with the economy, climate change and Brexit barely registering when they were asked what should be the priority for the next uh, government. And I suppose that's the reality for people. If you are on a hospital waiting list or you know of somebody on a hospital waiting list or you are like most people in fear that if you got sick you would end up in an accident and emergency department on a trolley, that's going to be a priority for you. Housing, there's so many people without a house so many people living in private rented accommodation, fearful that they could lose the roof over their head, fearful that they'll never own their own house. Everybody knows somebody who has some kind of a housing problem. So it's very understandable while housing is up there. But Brexit is barely registering with people. Isn't, isn't that interesting? And I think when Fine Gael look back and reflect on this particular election campaign, from the very start, they've been pushing Brexit and pushing how well the party has done when it comes to negotiating with Brexit and 
um, everything that was going on between the border north and south and what needed to be put in place and a lot of work went on in Brussels that I suppose a lot of work that we didn't see or even hear about and they were pains to point out that they are the party that can negotiate the best deal for Brexit for, for, for some way that's not connecting with the people on the ground. I think people just got tired of the whole Brexit thing. I think Michael Castleton Bear is, is right. We are at a most crucial stage when it comes to Brexit and this year while we have this transition uh, period, we are now probably in the most important part as all of the different deals are negotiated and Ireland needs to have a very strong team there. And that's not to say that a new government can't provide that strong team. But certainly Fianna Gael have been pushing that they're the party to provide that strong team. But that's just not connecting with the people. It's just people on the ground are just worried about the day-to-day and the day-to-day issues are people worried about their health and the day-to-day issues are people worried about uh, housing. So I don't know uh, if if anything can change between now and polling day on Saturday that Brexit becomes a priority for some of our for some of our voters. Uh, 1850-333-103. Also, um, just let me stay on the on the election for the moment because the other big talking point about going to the polls on Saturday is what's going on in Tipperary and legal consultations are now underway to see if voting in the Tipperary constituency can still go ahead on Saturday, as was originally scheduled, despite the very sad and untimely death of one of the candidates. Now, the Office of the Attorney General is now involved. Uh, The office has been examining if postponement of the vote in Tipperary until a possible date now of Saturday, February the 29th, they're now looking to see, would that be deemed unconstitutional? The decision to put back the election was announced on Monday. That was following the sudden death of the independent candidate Maurice Scheme. The returning officer said the the postponement was required under the Electoral Act. It's in law. It's the Electoral Act from 1992. It stipulates that a returning officer must countermand a poll in the constituency where the death of a candidate has occurred and they then must go on to arrange the holding of a fresh election. However, Article 16.3.2 of the Constitution, we all know that article, don't we? That states that a general election must be held not later than 30 days after the dissolution of the Dáil. It's understood the Attorney General is concerned that the result of the general election in the other 38 constituencies could then face a legal challenge if the Tipperary vote wasn't held on the same day. Now, we already know that the TD, independent TD for Tipperary, Matty McGrath, who's joined us before on the programme, is one of the very strong independents. He sent a letter to the Attorney General's office yesterday evening warning that a legal challenge would be initiated next week if the vote in his constitution was postponed. Now, an order would need to be signed by the Minister for Local Government, that of course is still Owen Murphy, to allow the election temporarily to proceed on Saturday. A government source said a decision is likely to take place very soon on what should happen. Given the very narrow time frame, we're getting very close to the vote on Saturday. A death during the campaign, by the way. Oh, this is another thing that I only discovered yesterday. It has happened before. It happened back in 1948. There was a candidate in Carlow constituency died. So there is precedent it has happened before. But of what happens with the 700 postal votes? These would be people from the Defence Forces, uh, personnel and diplomats who are overseas. They've already cast their votes uh, for 
the Tipperary constituency, as well as as well as nine hundred votes in those nine hundred votes. There's nine hundred votes have been cast for Tipperary. They are residents of nursing homes and hospital patients. They've all cast their votes. They all those votes. If they've if the election doesn't go ahead on Saturday, they will be deemed non non void. So I'm assuming do those votes do they have to go back out? Will they have to resubmit the new polling? The new polling sheet will that have to go out to everybody? I, w- I would I would imagine uh, it would. Uh, the constituency is seen now as likely to have a bearing on the government formation talks, and the doll the doll is expected to meet on February the twentieth uh, because the proclamation President Michael D Higgins issued when the doll was dissolved obliges the House to meet on that day. But if they're going to meet on February the twentieth, and the polling day for the Tipperary Constitution won't be happening un- until the twenty eighth, they can hardly form a government on that day unless it's seen as a by election or something. I don't know. Uh, Mr Higgins, President Higgins, would be required to sign a new proclamation on the advice of the Taoiseach in order to delay the sitting if the okay, if the Tipperary vote was delayed if the Dáil sits it's likely the TDs would be asked to elect a new Taoiseach and uh, Ceann Corla um, and, the, um, and it is very sad and, and I'm very conscious and aware for the Skihan family they have a funeral they're, they're obviously arranging at the moment I know I saw the her death notice and the arrangements for her funeral she's been buried uh, tomorrow uh, in Thurlis. So, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious of the family as well. What you know, what they're grieving for, you know, a much loved uh, woman in, in their family. All of this debate is going on in the background. And, you know, even Matty McGrath, who's a TD for the area, he's coming out saying there'll be a constitutional uh, challenge. It just all oh, seems a bit, God help them with the family. I'm sure there's somebody in the family wanting to scream, saying, would you leave us alone? Let the woman be buried and have your discussions after that. So we'll keep a close eye on exactly what is happening with the constituency of uh, Tipperary and if anything breaks this morning we certainly will bring it to you. Now coming up on the programme this morning we're going to speak with a Bandon mother who shares her story of her cancer journey. She was only diagnosed last year but she's one of these very brave and I always think any, anybody who's on a cancer journey who comes out and speaks out publicly, I think they're very brave because I think f- most of us, I think if we got a diagnosis like that you would want to bury your head in the corner and let nobody near you and not want to speak to anybody and not want to share your story. I think it's always great when people share their their stories because it gives great courage to others who are not as brave about being able to go public and share it. So she shares her cancer journey with us uh, today. We will stay on the general election and we're looking at the Cork East constituency today. And this is a great big rambling constituency because it runs right across East Cork and it runs right across North Cork. Almost when you look at it, it's like it's two constituencies in one. And the voting has a tendency to go down that line as well in that two of the candidates normally get elected in the south side of the constituency around the East Cork area. And then two candidates normally will get elected from the north of the constituency up around North Cork. And that's generally speaking what happens. So we're going to be looking at the run and riders in Cork East uh, today. We have details of a matchmaking night. This uh, is 
kind of a fun night out and uh, it's been called a matchmaking night but it's more to do with rural isolation it's more to do with trying to get people out organise events that have a little kind of a twist or a little quirk a little bit of fun about it and get people out and just encourage people to get out of their houses and go out and meet and interact and meet with your neighbours meet with your friends and make new friends that's what it's all about we'll hear about that on the programme today we've had a dad who's contacted us he is desperately trying to track down two tickets to the rugby match on Saturday and he's gone to great lengths already and people are literally trying to abuse the fact that this man has been asked by his daughter could he go to a rugby match and he can't get the tickets and people are are really just the meanness of it and they're just trying to screw this man over thinking oh yeah this is a good story here he's got a daughter he'll do anything to get his daughter to the match and we so what we're trying to do we're trying to help him get the story out there get the message out there that we have this lovely man and his little girl they want to go to the match is there anybody out there has a pair of spare tickets to the match or you've heard of somebody who has a pair of spare tickets that they were willing, he's willing to buy them but we want him to be able to buy them at face value we do not want him uh, paying over the top you know and going to ticket touts for the tickets we just we are having nothing to do with that we want them to be sold on to them at face value so if anybody knows of tickets for the rugby match please please uh, let us know um, and we are also uh, going to, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to bring a letter to you that I got from a gentleman who is struggling because he is married to a woman who has an addiction problem. She's an alcoholic and and, ty- and he's just finding it really hard and he's looking for advice. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll bring, I'll read his uh, letter to you in a couple of minutes. And we're hoping that maybe anybody listening who's been in a similar situation may just be able to offer him a little bit of advice on what does he do to get his own life back together and where does he go from here and I suppose to try to get across to him the message that there is light at the end of the tunnel and even though things are very bad at the moment for him many others have unfortunately walked that path of living with somebody who is addicted and how difficult that path can be and there's that sense of nobody else can understand it and yet there are many people many many people will be able to understand it so hopefully we can offer them some words of comfort and advice on the programme uh, today. Some of your thoughts coming in John says Patricia we are now paying double for PRSI contributions we've got property tax etc and petrol at €1.48 a litre under this current government they have us robbed says uh, John, I mentioned that we're going to be previewing the Cork East constituency. A number of people are concerned about schools in that area. And a clip that we played on the news with Barry at 10 from Carrick Tool. Listen, says Carrick Tool Community College is not the only place in this area with no vacancies for children in September. All of Middleton is in the very same situation, says a texter. And then there was a number of calls. Um, Regina's in Middleton. I'm a mother in Middleton. And while Carrick Tool parents are making noise about their area, we have problems also here in Middleton, which serves a much larger area. Area. St. Coleman's College have waiting lists, the CBS have waiting lists, St. Mary's High School has a waiting list. So while Carrick Tuhill parents are shouting, here in Middleton we also have these uh, lists. While the CBS has a new building, no new classes have been added as of yet. In Carrick Tool, the schools are in temporary accommodation, but yet we have space in Middleton with the new building, but we haven't been told if they're going to open up and run extra classes. People are moving now to the Middleton, Shanagari area, etc., 
they're, they're moving to live because prices in this city are simply too expensive and yet there is no availability with a growing population and a massive hinterland Middleton schools are under severe pressure. And that's coming in from uh, Regina. And then Mary and Mallow was on to say, Patricia, when you're talking about schools in the Cork East area, please do not forget the Patrician Academy in Mallow. They're also waiting on a new school. Remember, the Patrician Academy was the, they had a devastating fire. It was over Christmas a couple of years ago and they still are in temporary accommodation and prefabs and schools being, classes being held all over the town. It really is not an ideal situation at all. So Mary and Mallow said, can anybody find out please what is the hold up with the building of the school I know of parents who are, are have to drive as far as for Moy because they can't get a school place for their boys in Mallow so please we need to find out what's happening in the academy it's unfair on parents and it's unfair on uh, students so there's looks like in Cork East the issue of schools and lack of school places seem to be a big big uh, issue and yesterday we were talking about the literature that's coming through the post not everybody's happy about the literature that's coming through. Now, I'm I'm actually keeping all of my literature so I can count all the pieces. These This is the ones that have come through the letterbox, both being delivered by hand and the ones that are coming from the um, post, from the postman. And I have to say, every single one of the ones that have that has come from on post has been addressed to the household. Now, there are only two votes in, in the House and... Because I know we had complaints in from some listeners saying that everybody on the register of electors were all getting an individual piece. And at one stage that used to happen, certainly in, in my house as well. But it stopped and now it's just to the household, which is a much better way uh, to do it. And they're only like postcards uh, anyway. But we're only get, I'm only getting one from each candidate, which is terrific. But I'm c- collecting them all so I can do a, a count at the end. But we were mentioning yesterday that people are noticing, and I certainly put my hand up and said, yeah, same for me where I live, that I haven't had anybody calling to the door and actually canvassing me since the election was called even though there are obviously campaigners around because flyers are coming through the door not the unpost ones ones that are being put through by part of the campaign team so Pat says Patricia the candidates themselves are only calling in person to towns with a very large population they are sending others to do leaflet drops in smaller towns where I live in Belgooley for example I've had only one politician call looking for a vote and you know what because she had the decency to knock on my door she's getting my vote says uh, Pat and you're not the first who I have heard say that. I was listening to somebody um, on on a national radio station who was talking about a canvasser from the Green Party that called to her door and uh, she said I just, I want change, didn't know who I wanted to vote for but because this Green candidate was the first and only person that had called to her door, that person was getting the number one. So it does pay does pay to knock on doors uh, as well. And then just on election posters, Mike sent us in a WhatsApp yesterday with photographs of posters. And I'm going to give this out as a, as a general to to candidates and to their campaign team to please, you know, even in the last few days in the run up, take a look at where some of your posters are erected and make sure that they are okay. Just want to raise an issue. I have some election posters are placed in very dangerous areas, says Mike. For myself, I drive a tractor for a living. And an election poster, and it's a Fianna Fáil election poster, is 
it's up on a pole. It's right in the line of my sight when trying to turn on to the main N72 from the Union Hall side in West Cork. I have had to move nearly halfway across the first lane of traffic to see clearly the road from Skibbereen. There's also a Fina Gale poster above it and that isn't much better. I've seen this issue every time an election is on. Do the people putting up these posters not think of tractor drivers, not think of lorry drivers or HTGV drivers? So please folks even at this late date when you're out driving if you're part of the campaign team and you notice posters just you know check particularly if they're on where you're coming out of a junction onto a main road really I think when those posters are put up somebody in the campaign team needs to drive those roads and just make sure that they're not blocking line of uh, sight and if you think it is a particular safety issue, I will be getting onto the council because they will remove those posters pretty quickly if it's a health and safety issue. 1850 333 103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. Egg foil and mock quid then and here is far lane. Shot eight thrower C103 Air Kirkig. Is Marga Bay Yane the English market, a Lorha Harkurki, in a will Ramshill Lahan Stali Yakas Shastoin, Lebush Dairy, Bokhari, Kanahori Aishk, Stali Glossary, Shapui Cafe, a Hodas Clohish, Agas Avadni Smo. Dinkor Olu Hosu the Hodil, Win Saltas and Atmosphere, Nublasana, Agas Blafele on Irgniv Shaw, a Hen Shirgadin Vlien, Milashak Yadza Hochta Hocht. Now, a single mum and a breast cancer survivor has branded her diagnosis a gift and is now inspiring others with her 100 days of walking with World Cancer Day yesterday. Helena O'Brien from Bandon joins me to share her story. Good morning to you, Helena. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, let me take you back to May of last year. That's when you uh, discovered there was something wrong. What prompted you initially to go to the doctor? It, you know, I will be totally honest. Um, I was di- So I'd noticed an infection in my nipple around March time. And I just discovered there was a pain in the breast getting stronger and stronger in the May, but it took for me to get the vomiting bug before I actually went to the doctor. So on the 16th of May, I went to the doctor and I joked saying that I was paying 60 euro and I wanted a full MOT for the privilege. But as soon as she checked, I knew by her face this was serious. And you were in the lucky position that, uh, thankfully, you had private uh, health insurance. So, did yes. you, so your doctor reacted straight away and said, you need to straight go further. Away. Yeah, she said, um, immediately she said to me, you have private health insurance, don't you? And I said, yes. And she said, right, we're going to refer you to the Bonscore Hospital um, immediately. And at 521 the following day, I got a phone call from the Bonds to be in the next Thursday. Were you panicking at that stage? Um... I was, I'm not going to lie. Um, I had all kinds of emotions going through my head thinking, what could this be? I've had friends that have gone through treatment for breast cancer, but I didn't know what was involved with it. Um, you know, I suppose a lot of women will think of me to say when you're told that this is something that could happen, you think about your hair before you think about anything else. But it's different for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I had all sorts of emotions, but I still kept thinking, 
think positive, think positive, because I'm a glass half full type person, yeah, so I'll yeah. always try and find the positive in something. Um, so, yeah, I went in open-minded, thinking positive, but, uh, yes. Who, at that, in that, that couple of days or five days that you had to wait from then mm. to, to, did you share your thoughts with anyone or was it very much kept to yourself? Very much kept it to myself. I told a couple of people in work um, that I had to go to the bonds for a mammogram and an ultrasound. And it turns out I needed a biopsy as well. But I had told a few people in work and that was it. I chose not to tell family because I didn't want to have them worrying um, while I would be waiting to go in for the test. Yeah, I, so I, like, I made that yeah. conscious decision. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would agree and would probably do do the same thing. So then you go to the bonds, they do the tests, and when do you get a diagnosis? So I went in and I was taken into an examination room and Dr. O'Hanlon mentioned something to me that now, looking back, she knew by looking at my breast that I had breast cancer. But I had to have a mammogram and an ultrasound to determine the size, the location, etc. Um so I went in and had the mammogram. Then I went in and had the ultrasound. And I remember seeing a black hole um, where the, the tumour was. And then they said, would you mind if we take a biopsy? And I said, of course. But I actually started to panic because I said to them, there was no mention of the biopsy before this. What does this mean for me? Um, what does this What exactly does this mean in relation to diagnosis? And that's when they explained to me that uh, you could have to wait for up to eight, eight days. So in my head, I was already processing Friday week. I would know when my day, you know, exactly what my yeah. cancer was or whatever, whatever it was. I didn't know. Um, but it turns out uh, I started to cry quite a bit. So they put me into a room on my own and I thought that was to just, you know, keep me calm. But actually what they did was um, my amazing consultant, Dr. Deirdre Hanlon, came into the room and explained to me that I had, in using medical jargon, that I had stayed to invasive ductal breast cancer. Um, but it wasn't exactly said like that. Okay. And she said, this is curable. And but did you hear that? I mean, did you hear those words? I heard this is curable. Yeah. But I didn't realise that I had breast cancer. Okay. Because the, even the term that they, they used, I can spell it, I just can't say it. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The term breast cancer just wasn't used, which for me was something that I never expected. I always thought that, you know, I didn't know there's there's all these stages. I didn't know that there's different types of breast cancer. Um, so I didn't know all this. And I didn't know at what point is it curable, is it not curable, etc. So all this was said to me. And I almost left without knowing that I had just been diagnosed with 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 breast cancer and it wasn't until the nurse said to me afterwards she said you understand everything the Dr Hannan said to you and I said yes I have to come in before Thursday for an MRI and um, I'll get my results then and I, she said that's right and I said but sure, look it could be benign and she looked at me and she said no dear you have breast cancer and the, the emotions it's like falling into a black hole like a bottomless black hole that's how I felt at that moment in time. and you were so I, were you on your own Yeah, I stupidly went on my own because I believed that it was not going to be anything serious. And I have been all of my life believing that you check your breast for lumps. But I didn't realise that a dimple in your nipple could be a sign of breast cancer. 
Yeah, so treatment, so then you, so the treatment plan then was decided? The treatment plan was decided the following week, so I was, they spoke to me about a lumpectomy and a mastectomy, and I said, if you can protect as much of the breast as possible. Um, So I went in for the first operation, which was a lumpectomy, and they also do a biopsy around the area of the tumour to see if there's any precancer cells, and they also do a biopsy of your lymph nodes to see if there's any cancer in the lymph nodes. Um, And I went in the following week expecting to be told, you know, worst case scenario, I had to start chemo because I was, I did not want to have to have chemo. And that's all I kept thinking about. I never thought about anything other than that. And I went in the following week and I was taken into a room very quickly. um, And all these women were in cream gowns. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get a cream gown now when actually I never did because I was being taken into a room to be told that they had found precancer cells in the biopsy and they'd found cancer in the lymph nodes. So I had to go in for a second lumpectomy the following week um, where they removed more of the breast and then they also removed a further 18 lymph nodes. Um, And thankfully, they did a number of tests on my body and the following week I was given the results to say there was no more cancer present in my body. All gone. All exactly. gone. And, and then you was there chemo? There was four weeks after that operation. Um, I started chemotherapy. How bad was that? Uh, do you know? I always say to people now that you don't know what to expect, and sometimes um, it's it's better to not have any expectations of something. So I didn't understand any side effects. I never Googled anything from the day I was diagnosed. I never Googled anything. The okay. only thing I ever, the only thing I did look up was the name of one of the drugs that I was having administered, chemo drugs. Um, but I had chemo every two weeks um, over a four-month period, and it was two different drugs. And um, it was aggressive, and I had a lot of side effects. But after the second round... I actually resided the fact that Helena takes one day at a time mm. and this too will pass and you will be okay. And I think once once you accept that this is what you have to go through, it makes it much, much easier. So, you know, people say radiotherapy is a walk in the park. It is. The fatigue is unbelievable, but the the radiotherapy part is fine. The toughest part of everything for me was losing my hair. But I made the choice very early on in my treatment to actually shave my head because Rather than watch it fall out bit by bit. Yeah, because I, yeah. I thought to myself, you weren't bothered about losing, uh, you know, the majority of my breasts, but I was bothered about losing my hair. And I was inside in the hospital and I was brushing my hair. And it was just coming out in chunks. And I looked in the mirror and I actually took a photograph that day of myself looking in the mirror and I said, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, shave your head and allow yourself to heal. And, and did you did you then rock the bald look or did you go down the wig route? So, <laughs> I, I laugh when people ask me this question because I went and I spent an awful lot of money on a beautiful wig. Um, but I'd say I have worn it, if I've worn it a dozen times, it's a lot. Um, I gave her a name. Her name is Sarah. Okay. So if, if I ever wore the wig out, my friends could say, Helena, Sarah needs to look at. Um, but, I actually rocked the ball. Look, well done. Yeah, it was very empowering. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the number of people that say that, I think it's just that dread of 
Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be bald. And I also think when I've had friends who have had cancer in the, in the past and whenever I've interviewed uh, people and mm. they talk about when you've got the bald, when you're rocking the bald look, sometimes people can look at you, oh God help her, she's got cancer. And sometimes yeah. you just don't want people <laughs> looking at you saying, God help her, she's cancer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm doing fine. Now in the, the so and then so you finished the chemo and then you the radiation how long how much radiation did you do i had radiotherapy 20 rounds it was a, it was um a booster on the last week so because of the age that i am i'm i'm young i was diagnosed at 39 um it was just an aggressive level of uh radiotherapy on the last week and that's i believe that's quite common for for younger women going through um breast cancer but it was it was four weeks five days a week and yeah, uh, that's the one. The yeah, that's the one where you're in and out every day. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah it just it consumes <laughs> your life. And in the middle of all of that, uh, Helena, you're raising your little girl Abigail, who was only four and a half. Uh, she's now five. Half, yeah. You yeah. had, you had to, you made the decision that you wanted to tell her what was going. I tried to tell. A, how do yeah. you tell a four and a half year old what's going on with 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 with, with mummy? You um, bring yourself down to their level. And you use items that they can relate to and language that they can relate to. And I used Lego to explain that um, I was going to have to have the lumpectomy. And I built a tower with her. And I remember using this yellow piece of Lego at the top that to me looked like a dimple, uh, sorry, looked like a nipple. And I explained to her that mum was going to have to go and have an operation and you know, she could see the breast at the time and everything and we took off this piece and I explained this is what the operation is going to be about. But when I had to go in for the second one, I told her that the the doctor had left some of the Lego behind so they needed to take more, that they needed more Lego. And she really understood it and she was fantastic. Like six weeks after treatment, I was able to pick her up because I couldn't lift anything heavier than a kettle for six weeks. And I remember her jumping back in my arms and saying, Mommy, is your breast all better? And I said, it is. And my mum was in the kitchen at the time and she said, that means mummy can iron again, which I just, to this day, I think is the funniest thing anybody <laughs> said to me the whole way through treatment. But then we discussed chemo and I was explaining it was going to be a drug that was administered. And she said, so it's like uh, magic medicine. And I said, yes. So she called it mummy's magic medicine. So she's, she's always found a way of understanding. Like they ask, and I'm giving you a very, you know, brief summary, but kids ask you so many questions and when you're not having a good day, you know, they still expect you to get up and look after them, etc. But when you're honest, they just, they understand and they they will ask you a million and one questions, but it allows them to understand that bit more. And I suppose as a result, there was a lot of questions then that I had to ask of my medical team as well. Um, because sometimes a child will ask you a question that you don't even have the answer to yourself. And you had a lot of family support, did you, um, Helena? You mentioned your mum there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, in fairness, my mum and dad were just amazing. Um, my daughter's dad was great support. And I, I have, like, I have an aunt who um, was by my side for the majority of my appointments in the breast clinic. Brilliant. And with my chemotherapy, uh, sorry, my um, oncologist. So I've been very, very lucky. Family, friends, you know, I'm surrounded by amazing people who made it an easier journey for me. And you're back at work now? I'm back at work in a few weeks. A few weeks. Yes. Okay, you're still <laughs> off. Okay. And where, so where, where, so your, your, your treatment is finished now? Yes. 
and then are you in and out for checkups or what what happens yeah. from here? So this, I always say to everybody that you go through in a period of time where it's aggressive treatment, but the healing finishes, healing starts when the the treatment from the medical team really finishes. So when your radiotherapy is done, for me in my case, it's different for everybody. Um, you go for counselling because PTSD is one of the biggest um, side effects of treatment for any cancer patient. Um, but you also, for me, because I'm pregnant, I don't know what it's like in the public sector, I have to see a specialist every two months. So I was with my oncologist last week. Um, I see him again in two months. Two months after that, I see my um, birth consultant. So for the next two years, I'll be seeing somebody every two months. And you're doing this 100-day walking challenge. How's that yeah. going? How is that going? Were you always um, very fit before you, you got the diagnosis? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I was very fit. I've, I lost a lot of weight years ago, so I've always enjoyed walking. Um but I'm absolutely loving the 100 days of walking. Oh, because, yeah, yeah. yeah, I do. And I, I've said to so many people, because they're saying, why do you go out in the morning and, you know, get your steps in then? And I said, but at the end of the day, I get to go out and clear my head. And then I sleep so much better at night and I feel so much better, you know, about myself and everything. And when I wake in the morning, I'm feeling great and I'm ready for the next day. Well done. Well done. You're, you're, you Thank really you. are. Uh, you're you're just, you're a great ambassador and, and just the way you share share your story. And, 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 and I'll finish where I started at the beginning, where I read that piece that you branded your diagnosis a gift. What, do, what did yeah. you mean by that? So at the beginning of all of this, I said, this will not kill me. It will not define me. It will make me stronger. And that they were three lines that I had that I kept saying to myself over and over. Here I am, eight months post-diagnosis, and I have learned more about myself, more about life. I have clarity like I've never had it before. I view everything in a a very different way than I ever did. Um, And I now know what's important. And I think if if you take the time to go through something, now it's different for everybody, but if you take the time to go through something and try and understand why it's happened to you, and not from a negative point of view, you actually start to discover something amazing. And I've I've met some incredible people, incredible people who have been with me every step of the way that are also cancer warriors. And I have met people who are, who research um, cures for cancer, not just breast cancer. And it's just been something that I'm, I'm a much happier person now than I ever have been in my life when I've gone through breast cancer. So I'm, I always say I'm so, so lucky. So a gift can come in many forms. But for me, breast cancer was a gift. Okay. And I embraced it. Well, you're truly, you're, my story. <laughs> you're truly inspirational. We wish you continued good health on your journey, uh, you. Helena. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Isn't she lovely? Continue good health to her. That's uh, Helena O'Brien from uh, Bandon. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood, and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story, and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. On C103. 
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And best wishes to that lady, Helena, who joined us talking about her breast cancer journey. That was my story nine years ago, says a uh, WhatsApper. And someone else says, uh, hi, Patricia. Uh, it was lovely listening to Helena tell her story of her breast cancer journey. I've been there six years ago. Fabulous to be out the other side. Good luck uh, to her. That's lovely. Really nice that uh, women have taken the time uh, just to say I've been there, done it, bought the t-shirt and I've moved on. It really is terrific. And breaking news, it looks like voting will take place in the general election in Tipperary on Saturday. The returning officer has been speaking to Tip FM in the last few minutes and he's been advised subject to written confirmation the polling will take place. Okay, we may have more of that on the news at 11. Need to take another break. Apologies, I'm backed up with breaks because I ran over with uh, Helena. So I'm going to take another break. We've got news at 11 on the way and we'll be previewing the Cork East constituency in the next hour. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. I got greatest hits from Tina Turner. I'm still in good shape. Hosey is here. I'm a big believer in writing music that you wish you heard being written. Beyonce. The only time I can really relax is on a boat. And in the Six Nations, can Ireland beat Wales? Gary Sexton! That was a miracle drop goal! Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just some more people reacting to my interview with uh, Helene O'Brien from Bandon sharing her cancer story with us. A listener said, uh, listening to Helena this morning brought tears to my eyes, my eyes as my sister died from breast cancer. Sadly, she didn't go in time. And actually, that was one of the things I think that came out from Helena's interview was the fact that when she went, she was stage two. And even though she had couple of months where she was soul searching. Mm, is that normal? Is it not normal? Uh, at least she got in there early and got in there on time. And that's the one message I think that would, and I think Helena would want to get across from people as well. If you've got any doubts, any suspicions, and I'm a big, big advocate of go with your gut. If your gut is telling you that this is not normal, don't bury your head in the sand because the quicker you get in, the earlier you get the diagnosis, as devastating as that diagnosis is going to be, but treatment can start. And I mean, look, the first two, as, as soon as Lena had stopped speaking, there was two WhatsApps in back to back. One from a lady saying, same story as mine from six years ago. Another person saying, same story as mine from nine years ago. And here are, you know, two women listening to Helena this morning, leading, leading happy and healthy lives. And unfortunately not for this uh, lady. Uh, so go, please, if... If you have any suspicions, uh, please go. And someone says, lovely to hear Helene O'Brien on the programme today. I have two years ago completed the very same road that Helena spoke about today. I want to remain anonymous, but please, would you give a big shout out to the nurses who got me through the final part of treatment in the radiotherapy department at Cork University Hospital? Shirley and her yellow nurses are a skilled compassionate people. They're underpaid Leo, Michal and Mary Lou by the way as an as an add-on so well done. I don't know Shirley's second name or the yellow nurses but if somebody is in and around the hospital today let them know we gave them a big shout out today and, and well done on their 
they're training to be so skilled but the most important one that they're compassionate and you can't you can't train anyone to be compassionate I think that's either in you or it isn't now I want to bring you this letter that I uh, received this week from a listener who just says please help me by reading my letter out someday on your programme and uh, also says at the end please don't read out my name now we have this gentleman's uh, full name but for the sake of the we're changing his name I'm just going to refer to him as Liam because it's always easier when I'm talking about somebody I want to refer back to this letter to refer back to a name so it's Liam we're calling him as I say not his real name Dear Patricia It's with a heavy heart that I write this letter to you for help this morning. I've been married for 30 years. My wife has been in and out of addiction centres and hospitals, her addiction being alcohol. She has mentally, physically and financially abused me over those years. Then she stopped drinking for about 10 years and was actually going to AA meetings. But sadly and unfortunately, two years ago, she started drinking again and things have actually gotten worse. I moved out to the spare room about a year and a half ago. Then my mother and father sadly both passed away during last year and my heart was absolutely broken. She never asked me once how I was, was, was doing, even though I was burying a much-loved mother and father. As long as she had her drink, there wouldn't be any problem at all. Christmas came and it was the first Christmas for me without my mother and my father. Now, there was masses for them and there was family get-togethers, but my wife never came to one of those events. I went alone. My family didn't say anything. She is not talking to any of them either, even though they never did anything to her. I have no friends and no family members calling to my house now because of her. Of late, I'm simply finding it hard to cope. I work a night shift once a month and on that day that I will be coming off a night shift and when I go home, she'll have the television on all day long, knowing that I won't be able to get any sleep. Then when I do go to work, in my head, I don't know what's going on at home. I worry, will she burn the house down? Will she have a fall? Will she injure herself? Will she get sick? On the way home from work, I end up feeling physically sick, not knowing what to expect when I open the front door. But the thing is, last week, a friend of hers called and everything was totally normal and to the outside world, that's how it looks. My wife started telling her friend how she had decided to change the wallpaper around the fireplace and what an awful job she had doing it, but she did it all herself. All this with a straight face. What actually happened was, in one of her mood swings, she threw a bottle of sauce at the wall and because of that, The wallpaper was so badly stained it had to be changed. She didn't go out and get the wallpaper. I went out and got it. She didn't put the wallpaper up. I did it and I did it all on my own. And yet she could sit there with a barefaced lie making out she had done it all. She keeps treating me like it's all your fault and and that I make her do these things. She blames me and I, I don't blame her at all. I was thinking, I am thinking of leaving her. After 30 years of marriage, and for the record, there isn't any other woman involved. I don't have another woman, but I simply can't take it anymore. It's like my wife can be two different people. I think I'm going to lose my mind dealing with her at times. All she wants is money and it's money for drink. She's cold, she's uncaring and she treats me like dirt. But she is lovely to other people. They would never ever believe what I am saying. Please don't read out my name. And then he signs it and says, uh, P.S. You will hear women talking about this. 
but you don't often hear it from the man's point of view. And I think, yeah, I think Liam is right. You do hear that story being shared of a woman living with an alcoholic husband. And for some reason, and I don't know why, maybe somebody can explain that, maybe men just find it harder to open up and to say, this is what's going on. But I think a lot of people will identify, obviously the drinking is going on behind closed doors and at home and that people aren't seeing what's going on inside in the house and maybe she's not going out that often. But when people do call, it's like everything's nice as pie and everything is okay when her friends call. Her friends, I wonder, do her friends uh, realise that she's back drinking and back drinking uh, heavily? But there is that sort of Jekyll and Hyde, isn't there? Street angel, house devil, that certainly is going on. But it's such a sad letter the way this poor man has been treated, how he says, you know, mentally, physically and financially he's been abused over the years. It is very hard after 30 years to say, I can't take it anymore and I'm going to leave. Now, there's no mention of children, so I don't know if there's children involved. And if there are children involved, I take it from the letter. They're either not at home or they're certainly not dependent on the family. There's Because I think if there was... Because often when... Lean talks about you'll hear this story from a woman's point of view you won't hear it from a man's point of view but when you hear it from a woman's point of view particularly when there is physical and emotional abuse going on and when you would ask the woman why are you staying it usually is I've nowhere to go I have to stay uh, because of the children so we're looking for advice for Liam I mean my initial when I read the letter my first port of call for Liam because the fact that your wife at one stage and did it for 10 years was, was attending AA I would suggest that you join a local Al-Anon support group. And if there's, she's been going to AA, there must be AA meetings going on in the area. Normally, if there's AA meetings going on, there will be Al-Anon meetings going on as well. So I would say go to, find out where your Al-Anon meeting is. They offer support for families and friends of problem drinkers. I do have a Dublin helpline number. If Liam doesn't know where a local Al-Anon group is, you can go online uh, as well and, and find it. But it's 018732699. That's 018732699. That's for Al-Anon. And I certainly think they would be able to help you. They would be the experts in it. You will meet people at those meetings. And I'm assuming it's men and women turn up at those meetings. So you will meet, meet people there who will have been on this journey, who will been, have been on this very same road as you. And hopefully they're on the other side and they, they, they will be able to help you. And another group that I would suggest, Liam, and I'm hoping that's why we teed up that we were going to do this. And I'm hoping Liam is listening to us. Another group I would suggest that Liam goes to is a group called Any Man. Now, they were formerly known as Amen. I didn't realise that the name of the group had changed, but they've changed to um, Any, Any Man, A-N-Y-M-A-N, Any Man, uh, dot I-E. So you can, you can access them online. They're a dedicated national service uh, supporting um, men experiencing domestic violence and it can be domestic I mean you seem to be going through every type of domestic violence because there's there's mental abuse going on there's physical abuse going on there's financial abuse going on so everything is covered there uh, for sure and they support specialist counselling they give you practical information and they also look at the legal options that 
would be open to Neem and they'll look at the legal options while supporting and respecting your decision if you want to stay or if you want to leave. So that's anyman.ie. They have a Dublin number as well, 5543811. That's a confidential support line, 01554381. But Liam, I think the fact that he has written the letter and as he said, it is with a very heavy heart and it isn't the easiest letter, wasn't the easiest letter to write. But I think you're on the step, you're on the right path, you're reaching out, you're saying that you need help. I wonder, could you talk to your family? I know you say in the letter that at Christmas, you know, and it was a rough Christmas, you know, the first Christmas, to lose two parents in the one, you know, 12 month period, that's the difficult thing for any family to go through. So you've you've had a tough, tough year. And, and, you know, when you talk about Christmas and you talk about, you know, being with your family and the fact that she didn't turn up and she let you go along to all of those events unsupported. And that's when, you know, more than ever with that first Christmas, you know, the, the, the mass that would have been held remembering your parents or family get togethers. Maybe you all got together for a little Christmas meal. You needed somebody beside you. And that's heartbreaking that she couldn't even see that you would you need that bit of support. But the fact that your family, I think it's quite telling when you say in the letter that your family didn't say anything to you. And I would say they didn't say anything to you because they know you're struggling and they know what you, what you are. They may not know the full extent of what you're going on, what you're going through behind closed doors. But honest to God, your family are aware that you are in a very, very unhappy marriage and that you need support and you need help. So, you know, if you don't want to go down the, the route of going to people that you don't know, like at Al-Anon or, or like at any man, then reach out to your family. I think they'll be incredible. I think they will help you. They will be there for you. The fact that nobody mentioned her and nobody said anything. I think, you know, they'll be only too happy uh, to reach out and to uh, support you. And I can already see some texts uh, coming in. Martin in from Moy says, Hi Patricia, would you tell Liam, throw her out or leave him himself. He needs to do it now. Mag says, tell Liam to walk and don't look back. Uh, He's not responsible for his wife's uh, drinking. And someone else says, for Liam, uh, go to the doctor about your wife and get help. Get help getting her to move out and seek professional help. Maybe get counselling for her. Yeah, I mean, she has been down the route of addiction centres because he says my wife has been in and out of addiction centres and uh, hospitals. You can only help an addict so much. They need to be able to help themselves. And, you know, to be two years, to be 10 years off the drink and then to go back. And I mean, and I imagine for that 10 years, life was good. And, you know, Liam had his wife and they were happy and whatever. And then for whatever reason, this woman decided to to go back and the abuse seems to be worse than it ever was. And that would be my fear that that abuse will just get worse, that it's not going to get better. I mean, if she couldn't and wasn't able to support him when he lost both of his parents last year and, you know, and I know people who understand addictions and people who have been addicts will say that's not the real woman that's acting like that. It's because of her addiction that she's acting like that. But where does that leave uh, Pauline, who, God help him, is really struggling at the moment? Uh, your thoughts and your words of support uh, for Liam are welcome, please. 1850 333 103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
A bookkeeper is required. It's for a busy office in the Charleville area. You need to have flexible hours um, and uh, you can email a CV to jobs at o'brienandcompany.ie. Farm operators are wanted for the Canturk, Mallow and North Cork regions. While a senior stylist and a second or third year trainee stylist is wanted, that's for work in Canturk. And Rota Industries, they're in Canturk. They're looking for a service engineer. You'll find all of the job, all more details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now today is our midway mark for previewing the five constituencies here in Cork ahead of next Saturday's general election to take a look at the candidates and the issues in Cork East. I'm joined once again by uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, probably one of the largest constituencies geographically, uh, Cork East, it could almost be two constituencies, couldn't it? It could, yeah. You've got the northern half of the constituency, which covers the likes of Mallow, Fermoy, Mitchellstown, all of that area. And then you've got the southern half of the constituency, which covers uh, Carrick Cove, Middleton, Castlemartyr, Yall, all of those areas as well. And, um, you know, looking at the results from the 2016 election, it looks like, you know, the, the geography of this constituency is just as important as any party. Um, you know, you had uh, Kevin O'Keefe and for Fianna Fáil and Labour Sean Sherlock elected and they're from the kind of that northern half of the constituency that we spoke about and then in the other half um, there was uh, Pat Buckley for Sinn Féin and Fine Gael's David Stanton so um, you know it'll be interesting to see this time around if uh, the voting attitude reflects that again now this time around or will they go for this change that everybody has been talking about on this uh, campaign trail for general election 2020 and, and all and I the think at it. All the four TDs this are, are standing again. They are, yeah. And I think, just by talking to people, I think that Sean Sherlock and um, Kevin O'Keefe are probably safe. I think where the battleground is going to be is in the other half of the constituency with David Stanton and Pat Buckley. Now, going into this election, I think people thought that Pat Buckley's seat might be, that Pat Buckley himself might be at risk, that he might not be re-elected. But I suppose when you look at the the polls in the last week in particular that show Sinn Féin ahead of Fine Gael, and if that's reflected, then this constituency, it could be David Stanton who would be at risk. Um, and there's also there's a number of contenders in this um, part of the constituency that will be um, in that fight. And I think um, James O'Connor, he's um, the second candidate for Fianna Fáil. And uh, you know, I suppose looking at the strategy of Fianna Fáil, they're hoping that they'll get Kevin O'Keefe in the top half of the constituency, and maybe Kevin O'Connor in the in the bottom half of the constituency. He's the second youngest candidate in the whole country, Patricia, and. Uh, he was elected to Cork County Council last year, um, has become a very familiar voice in, in areas like uh, Castle Martyr, Killa. Um, whether or not he has enough um, support behind him this time around uh, remains to be seen, but he's definitely in there for the fight. And yeah, I think and he's been Mary Linehan Foley. He's been described as kind of the new golden boy for uh, Fianna Fáil. 
Yeah, and Mary Linehan Foley, interestingly, she's an independent, she's from Yall, so she's obviously going to soak up a lot of the votes from that area. But she's also the only female candidate in this constituency. So, you know, if uh, if women are going to be voting for her, if she wants to get that female vote, you know, that could swing in her favour as well and she could be uh, very much in contention there for that seat. So I think that there's going to be a huge battle for those, t- for those two seats between those four uh, uh, candidates David Stanton uh, Pat Buckley Mary Linehan Foley and James O'Connor and I think at this stage it's nearly even too close to call Patricia I'm nearly afraid to call it in case um, yeah, you know it's wrong I, mean, I think you have David Stanton is an outgoing junior minister but if the tide goes against Fine Gael and if you're looking at the opinion polls it could be a very bad day at the office for Fine Gael that will go against mm. um, David Stanton. I think you're right with Mary uh, Lenehan Foley and bearing in mind she topped the poll just last May in the local election and she didn't do too bad uh, in her first outing in a general election last time round. So she does have yeah. form. She also has Fianna Fáil blood so she'll pick up some of the old uh, Fianna Fáil vote as well. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and you know, she's she's from Yall. She's very, very popular in Yall. Um, the time that they got the, the go-ahead for the Green... There we go. Technology is very best. Our Fiona's just up and disappeared. She was out and about as she's been doing all week, going around the constituency, trying to find out what people are talking about, trying to find out what are people's uh, concerns. And she went to Carrick Tuhill. You may have heard a clip some of this on the news earlier because I know we got reaction on this. And it is school places is a major concern for them. Presently, our kids are up in porter cabins and up in a school that's very, very old. And coming down the lane, oh, my son would say three years down the lane, we're actually not sure where there is going to be somewhere for them to go. And in Middleton at the moment, which is another local area, they don't have room either. So basically there is nowhere. We're after hearing of people that have been turned on Middleton and in the CCC above. So what are you guys going to do? Panic? The, wh- Panic, which is basically. The... Because there's actually nothing to do. But it's been promised for so long and it's to do with, we don't know, is it to do with land or zoning or planning or what? But there's all different stories going around. So how does that make you feel as a parent then here? very angry and very disappointed and I just think it's just very very unfair and they're basically pulling the names out of a hat so basically you might have um, you could your child's name might be pulled out of the hat and then that's just tough luck then on you So you have to look then maybe into the city The and city the city area which is an awful distance from here up and as well as that if their friends are in and it's a big adjustment to go from primary into secondary school basically then they have to try and readjust then to that if they don't know anyone going up there you know Okay, that's what some people in uh, Carrick Tool had to say was school places. And I'm told Fiona joins me by phone. We'll go back to the traditional way of doing it. Are you there with me? Uh, I am. Okay, that's okay. And we were talking, I just played out your piece there from uh, Carrick Tool, uh, school places. And it's funny because uh, part of that clip went out earlier in the news with uh, Barry. And as soon as we mentioned it, we had other areas ringing in school places, Middleton. There was a number of people on from Middleton saying they've got an issue with lack of school places in secondary school and then of course in Mallow they're still waiting for the rebuild of the Petition Academy in Mallow that went on fire so that does seem to be an issue in this constituency. Yeah and it's a huge concern for people and you know I was out around Middleton and Carrick Tool and you know they're developing at such a huge pace. It's like what we talked about in Ballancolic where there's um, these areas and there's no development being built but you know the schools aren't being built to match that and you, you have a lot of young families moving into these areas and like as that woman I was talking to her for a good while yesterday I was having her partner and they said that 
you know, when they moved there 15 years ago, they weren't really thinking about the schools. It wasn't really an issue. But then when they started having children, it became an issue and they were told when their child was going into to primary school, they thought, OK, well, you know, the school issue will be sorted by the time they come around to secondary school. Now they're four years out of secondary school and they don't know, like, there's no sign of a school being built there. They said in Middleton all the schools are full already so they can't send their child to Middleton. And, like, one of the heartbreaking things I think about it all, at all, OK, it's obviously a huge stress for the parents, but when you think about the children, Patricia, they form friendships all through primary school. And a lot of those friendships carry them through them to secondary school and into adulthood. But if they can't join their friends in secondary school and they're sent off to a school on their own where they don't know anyone, that's a huge stress on, on a young child, um, you know, who's entering into the teenage years. And I couldn't stop thinking about that yesterday. I was like, God, it's such a a huge issue for people in that dreadful, area. Dreadful, dreadful. really, really to be sorted out. And so, a big and worry. Think, yeah, and I think, um, you know, the fact that uh, we have TDs there, and like, I know David Stanton has been quite vocal on this issue and has been helping out, but, you know, people say that they want to see some action and they want to see some action on this now. And likewise with the roads in that area as well, I mean, I know there is the, the Newell's Carriageway and that's a great road, but when you go into the small, like the towns like Carrickfield and Middleton, the roads in these areas are not up to standard either. And people were saying to me that um, they want to see those roads improved as well. And, you know, maybe if you get the roads improved and get access to certain sites, that, that might speed up development of other things like schools. So, you know, it's all it's an issue of development in that area. And then when you go to... Um, you know, other parts of this constituency with there's vast rural areas, a huge number of farmers, and um, they have a completely different set of issues, I suppose. And we know last year the farmers were very unhappy with the beef prices. Um, we saw the protests. And I took a trip up to Cork Mark, just outside Fermoy, and I spoke to some farmers about some of those issues and whether or not they're happy now with the situation after, you know, there was an agreement reached last year. And I have a clip there of that. From where we started, we, we, we've come a long ways, like, you know. Like, if the price of the cattle, we want to come up another little bit, all right, in the factories. In comparison to the price in the mats, like, they're not reflecting it in the factories yet. So. So what would you say to the next government? Well, what I'd say to the next government is to... Um, keep the um, beef farmers in mind because there'll be no beef industry if we can't stay working for nothing forever there'll be no beef industry there like yeah well i suppose they can set the price but the the problem the problem is that the factories and the processors seem to be getting uh, the majority of the the extra cash that's that's between the retailer and the farmer so there's a gap in between and nobody seems to know where it is I'd be very worried about it because um, we, we want cattle in the country rather than wolves, you know. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I'd be very worried about a government coming in with the Greens and, and they're telling us that uh, we should do this, that and the other thing. They, must, they should remember that when we were in our, on our knees, it was the agricultural industry that bailed us out with our exports. We've been in a bad state only for that. I love that line. We want cattle in the country and uh, not wolves that pop off, off the greens. OK. Uh, now, you were also in Mallow and the general North Cork area and they're concerned about roads. 
Yeah, um, I spoke to a number of people in Mallow and um, I spoke to another man in Formoy as well, just about different issues affecting this constituency in, in this part of the constituency. And I spoke to some people in Mallow and they mentioned roads. Now, I, I spoke to a young couple who said that a lot of the people they know who are commuting to work in Cork find it hard to get to work on time because they're relying on public transport. And um, another man that I spoke to raised the whole issue of the, the Cork to Limerick Road. Um, and he also raised raised um, the issue of Mallow General Hospital. So I'll let you hear what uh, he has to say. say. The transport in in Ireland. I work with people who would have a commute or who try to have a commute and people can't get to Cork on time from, you know, like Castletown Roach, Donneril, anywhere like that really. Um, Do you think there's a lot of opportunities for young people in this area? Um, Employment opportunities? I think there is if if you look for them, they're there. People want, do you know what I mean? But uh, transport holds a lot of people back. Yeah, it does. Obviously, homelessness, you want that to be, yeah, that would be the main thing, I would yeah. think. Are you looking for a home or will you be in the process of looking for a home shortly? Oh, well, I would just be renting at the moment. But, like, obviously, down the line, you would be looking at buying a house and stuff. Trying to save for a mortgage, obviously, is going to be hard when you're renting. When the army camp closed down, which is 22 years ago, it was then the, the, the camp was demolished. And the idea to go over and develop this as a, an industrial site. And we were guaranteed that there'd be industries going to it. And that's 22 years on and nothing has gone into it since. But um, that's the, one of the biggest issues I see in for my local employment, you know. The Mallow Road, like from Cork to Limerick, is just horrendous. I mean, if you travel that road at 7 in the morning or f- between 5 and 6 in the evening, it's just absolutely horrendous, you know. The health system is an absolute disaster enough to see really old people sitting on trolleys people who have been diagnosed with cancers sitting in a in an accident emergency on a trolley it's just humiliating for them you can imagine the stress that they're under already do you think that this should open reopen the emergency department 24 7 here at mallow general hospital 100 percent, yeah why not like i mean like mallow is a huge population you have newmarket kintork like you have grenab bottle hill burnford you've all these surrounding areas which is just massive like and actually a lot of people I think are I think the Bantry General Hospital story that has ignited again mm. Mallow General Hospital and the need for the A&E to be open 24-7 and actually there's a protest uh, later on oh it's tomorrow it's on Thursday evening uh, people are going to protest meeting at the bus stop on the park road in Mallow and heading out to the hospital just mm. to say that and they're doing it to take pressure off CUH and the Mercy so um, it's that certainly is an issue that's not uh, going uh, going away so a lot of the issues again reflected right Right across the county, uh, Fiona. Yeah, um, and just <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, just with, back to the candidates. Um, you know, we mentioned about Fiona Fall's strategy of having a candidate in uh, both parts of the constituency, and Finnegal are doing likewise. They have uh, David Stanton, and they also have Paul Driscoll in the kind of northern section of this constituency. Now, Paul Driscoll, um, he was a member of Cork County Council back in two thousand and nine, but he decided in twenty thirteen that he wasn't going to run again. Um, but he will be hoping now to to maybe make some inroads there for Fine Gael in the constituency. Um, and the Green Party do have a candidate in this constituency in Councillor Liam Quaid. Um, and also we have um, Connor Hannan from Aintu, Frank Shinnick from the Irish Freedom Party and Sean O'Leary Independent and Thomas Kiley from the Independents as well. And um, I asked people how they will be voting in this constituency come Saturday when they're going to the polls. 
I actually no, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll keep a change from what it you'd not be a change. Yeah, yeah. I was like, honestly, yeah. I was Fianna Fáil. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you'll be voting Fianna Fáil then. I'll, I'll probably will. Yeah, more like I will. Yeah. Yeah. Are you happy with their performance over the last while? Well, I just see more done for small towns, towns like rural towns like for mine, place like that. Like you know, I just see more done. If you vote Fianna Fáil, okay, you're changing leadership. But the ship is the same, like, they go back to the Ministers for Justice, the Ministers for Health, and they so tell them what that we do. need a change here in this country? I think it would be good. I mean, it's, what's the problem with trying it? Like, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael have done it for the last hundred years. They've just changed leadership, like, but when they get in, the thing remains the same, like. They all promise the same once they get into government. They all promise you the world and the stars, and then, you know, nothing to be done about it. But I might, I'll probably vote for an independent person, um, just for the simple fact of why not, like, you know, they mightn't have the financial backing to get their face or, you know, their name out there, but yeah, I, I probably would vote that way, yeah. I don't know. I need to look into it some more. <laughs> some people are still slow to even say they're going to vote for. OK, a couple of people commenting on this saying change is what is needed. Uh, we need new people in Cork East. You're, ca- uh, you're saying at the moment with the four outgoing you're saying three or would you say three are definitely safe and it's the fourth is all to play for um no, I, no. Um, I think that Kevin O'Keefe and Sean Sherlock I think are safe um, I think where you're going to have um, the battle is between David Stanton Pat Buckley Mary Linehan Foley and James O'Connor um, and I I'm not 100% sure I, I think David Stanton or Pat Buckley one of them will more than likely get in but um, you know I think going into this uh, it was likely to be David Stanton but I'm not 100% sure now about that I think Pat Buckley uh, you know Sinn Féin have had a surge in support and um, a lot of people in the area spoke about Pat Buckley and his work with the mental health services and um, you know that's been a big issue in this campaign as well so um, I think it's a really really tough one to call and I think um you know, with four, four TDs like that, you would, you know, I think the parties are all hoping that they will all get in. But, you know, time and time again, we've been hearing from people on the street that they want change. So, um, you know, I think it's a really, really hard one to call. What do you think, Patricia? Do you yeah, think that you it's see, going to be... Yeah, it, it depends on how how much the tide is in or out for a particular party. I mean, if you think about the last mm. time out, I mean, it was Labour got absolutely decimated. And even in the midst of Labour being devastated, Sean Sherlock really bucked the trend Mm. And while his first preference vote was certainly down, but he was, you know, he 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 got home and, and got got safely home. He was the only he was the only Labour TD from the whole of Cork, yeah, city and county. Absolutely, wasn't he? absolutely. Yeah. And if so, if the tide goes against Fine Gael and there's a big pushback on Fine Gael, then I think absolutely, I think David Stanton is is going to mm. be in big big uh, trouble. And if as as the opinion polls are saying, you know, everyone's in favour of Sinn Féin at the moment, that certainly is going to help uh, Pat Buckley. But it's that last seat, and it's really hard to call. Somebody mm. says, "Don't uh, you're when you're talking, uh, don't forget to mention." And we have mentioned Power Driscoll in relation to Cork East. I think he's mm. in with a good chance of taking a seat. And I know that this traditionally, if you look at this constituency, it used to be always um, two seats to the north, two. Seats to the south and for many years mm. it was Fianna Fáil stronghold absolutely when you look at Ned O'Keefe and Michael Ahern they romped home every time and then but then for many years it was two Fianna Fáil and two Fianna Gael that, that has changed so it's mm. 
it, it, but it's all down to the way they split the constituency and good vote management. Now, I've already seen, I was reading some stuff in the papers during the week, that within the Fine Gael party, Power Driscoll seemingly was putting up posters in David Stanton's territory and he was made to I take it. I did read something about that. He was that. made to take yeah. it down and it made me look what looked like, is David Stanton's team a little bit uncomfortable about all of this? Are they a little yeah. bit worried? Are they already reading into it? Because, uh, you know, so it'll the vote management so is, have- is going to be important. Could we have three TDs from the northern half of the constituency and just one then from it would be the unusual. It? it would be unusual, but you just don't know what way it's going. You yeah. really just don't know. I think what with way this it's election, it's it seems to be a really hard election to call, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, um You know, and I think people, you know, like that lady at the end of the Vox Pop when she said she doesn't know who she's going to vote for. She really wants to sit down and and study it. And I, I think, you know, um, I've I've been getting that from a lot of people. They're really reading all of the the flyers that are sent in the door. They're going online. They're getting to know the the candidates and what they're all about and what the parties are about. And you know, what can they do for the local area seems to be a big thing. Do you know? So, um. I, and we hear all the time of change, change, people want change. So uh, will that be reflected in the polls on Saturday remains to be seen. But I definitely think as well, you know, I think I spoke to you about this during the week um, or earlier in the week that a lot of more young people seem to be more engaged with this election and, and will be coming out. And a lot of them may not have a particular uh, allegiance to a, a party. So, you know, that could really change the vote as well. And I've just seen on a breaking news story that the electoral staff in Tipperary have been told the general election will go ahead on Saturday. Uh, ah, so that okay. that is that is definitely going ahead. So the Attorney General mm-hmm. has examined the legal ar- argument. I think that's even though well, I feel so sorry uh, from Maurice Skeen's family and how what a difficult few days they are having mm-hmm. and will, will have going forward. I think that's the right decision. I think it would have just it would have been a legal nightmare. I think if you were uh, waiting to fill the five seats in Tipperary at the end of the month there would have been all kinds of constitutional challenges and should the bowel matching yeah, was, was already threatening it. And we were just talking in the newsroom as well and you know I'd say she'd want it to go ahead because you know she was running and she'd want people to like if they're not going to be able to vote for her maybe vote for another independent but you know I'm, I'm sure she didn't want to have everything stalled so no. um, it's probably the right decision do you know. Absolutely. Okay uh, the, where are we going tomorrow? Uh, Cork Southwest. Cork Southwest. Okay, all right. That's another yeah. another bit of a dogfight going on down there. Okay, we will look forward to Indeed. that. Talk to you uh, tomorrow. Thank you for that, Fiona. And sorry for all the um, the bit of tech problem we had earlier. But yeah, hung in well. Well done. Thank you for that. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, with her preview of uh, Cork East. And just in the interest of fairness, I'm just going to run down just to all of the candidates running in Cork East. Pat Buckley runs for Sinn Fein. Connor Hannan for Aintu. Thomas Kiley, non-party. Mary Lynn and Foley, non-party. James O'Connor, Fianna Fáil, Power Driscoll, Fianna Gael, Shane O'Grady, non-party. Kevin O'Keefe, Fianna Fáil, Sean O'Leary, non-party. Liam Quaid runs for the Greens. Sean Sherlock for Labour. Frank Shinnock, the Irish Freedom Party. And David Stanton is running for Fianna Gael. And we look to West Cork tomorrow. And my apologies, I should have mentioned this earlier. Peter Dowdle is not with us today, but he's promised us faithfully he'll be back with us answering all of your gardening questions. Uh, it'll be next Wednesday. So Margaret has sent in a question. Margaret, I'll make a note of your question and I'll put it to Peter uh, next week. But he will be back with us uh, next week. Let's see, irishgardener.com. Going to take a break. 
break. We have news at 12 on the way. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of your calls and texts coming into the programme. Firstly, on the general election and our preview today of Cork East. Barry says there seems to be a lot of protest voting. Our protest voting will go on in this election and it seems to be gathering momentum since the election was first called. Barry says, while I welcome change and Barry is predicting that there will be a big protest vote next Saturday, I wonder will a lot of these new TDs and these new parties and independents, will they have the financial costings for everything. I would be concerned about that. Will they wreck the economy if and when they do get in? That will be Barry's big, big worry. Also, let me just look at what else is coming in on the election. Kevin makes the point that every election brings different issues and while the issues we have now next time round, uh, there will be new issues, even though I think this time the this election to the last election, I think a lot of the issues are, are the very same. Even though homelessness probably wasn't as bad the last time around, but certainly health Health always seems to be a huge, huge issue every single time that we have an election. Talking of health, a reminder that the North Cork Hospital Action Group are holding that protest tomorrow night, Thursday. They're meeting at seven o'clock at the bus stop on the Park Road in Mallow. The Action Group on the A&E in Mallow, fully reopened 24-7, plus the opening of the A&Es in the South Infirmary and at Bantry General Hospital. And their reasoning and their thinking is it would take pressure off the CUH and the Mercy. They will march from the Park Road to the Plaza in uh, Mallow. Oh, sorry, the Plaza in Mallow. I thought they were going out to the hospital. OK, that's where they're going from the Park Road to the... They're going uh, through the town. OK, thank you for that. On property tax, Tom Inrath-Gormick says, I felt... This was back to the debate last night. I felt Hall Martin came out best after last night's debate. But I don't think he's going to do much when it comes to property tax. We're robbed from property tax, says uh, Tom. Whereas Mary Lou would address property tax. What people need to remember when you talk about property tax are people who are drawing down pensions, people on a fixed income. Very tough for them having to pay property tax, says uh, Tom. And also somebody was on to say, during East Cork, there was nine in his family all sat down to watch the debate uh, last night. And when the debate was open, Ger decided, show of hands, please. What way are you planning on voting? And rather than names, he just asked for parties. So this is very unscientific in Ger's house. And I don't know where in East Cork it was, but he said, out of the nine, two went for the Green Party. He had two are going to give votes for Labour, but five of the nine say say that they would vote uh, Sinn Féin and he thought what was most interesting was most of them have never voted for Sinn Féin before and when he pressed them on it he said the main reason was that they are voting for uh, change and that seems to be certainly reflected or has been reflected in the opinion polls that we have been seeing of uh, late. Also in on WhatsApp, Katrina says, please don't write off Pa O'Driscoll. And can I say nobody's writing off any of the candidates. We went through all of the candidates. We were just giving the way we see the lie of the land, the way things are going. But nobody's writing anybody off because there hasn't been a vote cast and anything can happen when those boxes get opened on Sunday morning. Uh, Katrina says of Pa O'Driscoll, he's got an office in Mallow and he's done Trojan work for the constituency. 
and she is a big, big fan of him. Heidi says, Patricia, on the debate last night, I wonder if anyone noticed what was said about pensions being reduced if you are still working. We work all, we've worked all of our lives, paid in to the pension contributions and then don't forget that if you do continue to work that you get taxed on top of it. It is simply not fair. And Heidi says, Mary Lou came across as thinking by making the rich pay more that it will make the poor richer. That's not the case. If we don't have those rich people out there to tax and if we tax them too highly, they leave. They are the same rich people who bring the companies and create jobs. We live in a country that has the highest proportion of single parent families. A lot, not all, a lot of those single parent families are on benefits and they remain on benefits because they're in a situation that if they try to take up any kind of a small job, they lose a lot of the benefits. So maybe the system needs to be changed there uh, is what you're saying. All right, that's just some of your thoughts coming in on election 2020. And then a number of people are commenting on the letter that I read out from the gentleman that I'm just referring to as Liam, who is married 30 years, alcoholic wife. He has been mentally, physically and financially abused by her over the years and he's now sort of, he's kind of getting to the the end of it really. He's at the stage now where he feels he thinks he's ready to leave because he says at one stage in the letter I think I am going to lose my mind dealing with her. He really is in a bad bad place because he describes her as cold and uncaring and the fact that she um, treats him like dirt it's just such a sad sad uh, letter. Oh uh, Patricia I'm so sorry to hear that man's story but it's always the same isn't it The out, to the outside world everything looks great. Everybody thinks uh, everything's fine in Liam's household But what is it they say? You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Some women can be as bad as men in these cases. And I think that's one of the reasons that Liam wrote to us because he said and asked me to read out the letter because he said it's an issue that you hear women talking about in that a woman, a wife living with an alcoholic husband. But you don't often get to hear men tell the story that men, because alcoholism, unfortunately, it's an addiction and it affects men and women. It's not just something that only men are going to become addicted to alcohol. And it's, and, um, but you just, but I think Liam is right. You don't hear that story as often as you hear the other side of a woman living with an alcoholic uh, husband. So we were only too happy uh, to call out the his uh, letter and look for help. And then thank you to a couple of people who have, including this, um, and I don't know if this lady wants me to write her name or not, so I better not, but it just says, Patricia, but could you pass my phone number on to the gentleman, Liam, regarding his letter to you this morning? I am a long-time member of Al-Anon and I could listen to him. And this lady has passed on a mobile telephone number. Thank you for that. And someone else did something similar. Where's that other one gone? Hi, Patricia. Listening to your letter from Liam. I do voluntary work in this field for years. I'm giving you my phone number, which you can pass on to Liam as I will be able to help him. My name is, but please don't call out my name, our number on air. So we have two numbers that we will hold on to. Uh, it's up to Liam if he wants to contact us. I don't know if he's looking to talk to people like that, but thank you. We will keep both of those on file. And uh, if Liam is ready one day to talk to somebody locally, we certainly will pass on the numbers. I think it's great. I think it's a, I think that's just what he needs. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I read out the letters. The letter was in the hope that people like that would come forward to say, look, I can help. 
I know where he's going and I know where he's coming from and I know what the journey ahead looks like as well. So it's good to have those two numbers. Thank you to both of those female listeners who have come forward with offers of help for Liam. And as when I read it out, I also gave him the numbers of Adenon and I gave him the numbers for the what used to be called Amen Any Man who help deal, who help support men who are in, in in issues of domestic violence so there is help out there we just need to get the help to him because it's just such a difficult difficult place that he finds himself in Nora says I'm going through the very same issue that that man speaks about in my case it's a violent man it's been going on for the last eight months he also is drinking but it's the mental abuse that is so tough. God, Nora, how often have I heard and interviewed women who say that, that when they talk about abuse and that, you know, partner might not have laid a hand on them. And I've spoken to so many women who have said, I would have preferred a black eye. I would have preferred bruises because the bruises can heal, but it's the mental torture and constantly at somebody and then somebody gets inside in your head and it's to try to get that person out of your head but there's help available in the form of counselling so and you don't have to put up with it either Nora that's the the other point of view and I know it can be difficult but there is help out there Uh, but it's a a shocking place yeah certainly a shocking place that you uh, find yourself in and a listener says the that alcoholic uh, woman needs treatment uh, addiction has made her that way and she's not inherently a bad person, writes uh, Tim. I have little faith in some treatment centres, but I've great faith in others. In particular, Tim says Brewery, who we folk, we've featured on this programme, and the Kildare Centre, which is part of the same organisation. Some of my relatives did not face up to the problem and others did not allow themselves to admit there was a problem. I, says Tim, simply never uh, drank. Well, this woman has faced up to the issues in the past because she has been in and out of addiction centres and in and out of hospital over drink. And remember, Liam in his letter said she stopped drinking for about 10 years and was going to AA meetings and things were good. And for whatever reason, she's slipped off the wagon. They sometimes refer to it as and it's gone back. She's gone back for the last two years and it's worse now than it ever was before she was dry for the 10 years. And I think that's where he's coming to the stage where he just, uh, he's had enough. He's just, he literally has had enough, the poor man. And that's the reason that he came to us because he said, you know, it's with a heavy heart I write this letter, but he needs help. And, and I'm hoping by us talking about it today and about him listening to the great words of encouragement that's coming in from people that he will get the help that he needs. And thank you to the number of people who have been on uh, offering lean help and offering words of support. It, it's very kind. 1850 Just on some other issues, the school, this is on schools. When we were talking about the schools in Carrick Tool and other people were on saying schools in Middleton and then we had listeners saying, what about Mallow? The Patrician Academy in Mallow hasn't been rebuilt uh, yet. Somebody said the schools in Formoy are the same. My granddaughter has been refused into one secondary school and obviously it's the secondary school that she wants to go to and that school had a big extension on it and there still isn't enough room. And when Fiona, I was talking to Fiona, you know, she was making the point that children start school, you know, and some children will go maybe to kindergarten with and make friends and then they'll go into, you know, big school together and they'll go all the way through the primary school and then when they get to sixth class they're ready to go on into secondary school and it can be 
devastating on children if a friendship group is split up. And by sixth class, some very firm friendships have been made and it's awful when families are faced with this. And particularly, you know, some of the schools they have to make, it's done like a lottery system. It's a draw out of the hat. Or you get in if you have an older sibling and God help us if you're the eldest in the family and you can't get in. It's just, it's really, really difficult. And that transitioning from primary into secondary is tough enough any you know it's a tough enough journey to go on and if you're losing the support that you had of your best mates in primary school and you're suddenly going into school where you don't know anyone that can make that transition even harder and so I I feel both for the young person but for the parents very difficult to watch their children going through that for sure 1850 103 and uh, John was on this is staying on on election really uh, hi Patricia my mother passed away very sadly last summer I received her polling card in the post last week. How does this happen? As all the authorities were notified of her passing. Oh, John, it's just, I can sense your sadness and it just can bring back all the mourning. And, and you know, and you're still, you're not even a year over the death of your wonderful mother. I know tomorrow on the programme, we're going to speak with um, the fantastic Stephen Teep, you know, who advocates so well on behalf of women caught up in the cervical check scandal and, and his gorgeous wife, uh, Irene, he got another polling card it's just ridiculous he's and he's been receiving them since she has died it's just at this stage how do we now I, I can understand how if somebody dies and within a month or two an election is called or there's a referendum called and a polling card comes out but when you hear of people you know years after this, there just seems to be no joined up system in place. Now I know we're having Stephen Teep actually join us on the programme tomorrow so I imagine we're probably going to hear a lot more about this, about people receiving polling cards and how upsetting that can be on a family but we're also hoping to try to find out what you need to do even though when somebody passes away there's so much red tape that needs to be done. I mean even you know going to get a death certificate and contacting banks and contacting utility companies if you know if the the electricity is in one person's name and transferring it over and people have enough to be doing that I really think really far down along the line is somebody thinking oh I need to take mum or dad or my husband or my wife's name off the register of electors I really think it comes very far down along the list but then it's the shock when the polling card arrives in and you know to see somebody's name in print and know they'll never go to the polling station to cast the, their vote I can I certainly can sense the sadness John in your text but we will be dealing with dealing with it tomorrow and trying to see is there some other system that they can put in place I mean the obvious one to me and maybe this isn't obvious to anybody else or maybe this can't be done but when they when the state issues a death certificate, you know, that's issued from the state. Is there any way that that can be in some way connected to the register of electors? So that every time a death certificate is issued for the first time, that in some way the local authority is contacted to say that Joe Bloggs, number one mountain way in whatever town, has passed away and we've just issued his death certificate to his family. Can you ensure that his name is removed from the register of electors? I mean, is that, am I simplifying it too much? Is that not an easy way uh, to do it? So, so as I say, tomorrow we will be asking if you have stories on that, if you, if you, ha- if you are in that situation this year or you've been in it in the past. 
where a loved one passed away and you ended up getting the polling card but I can I certainly can sense the upset it's 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 uncalled for 1850 and thank you John uh, for your text you can text our uh, WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie Annam Cara They're hosting a parent support evening That's in the Clayton Hotel In Cork City And that's tonight at 20 past 7 A HSE dietitian led course For people with type 2 diabetes Will run in Newmarket Over four Wednesdays Now it begins at the end of February Runs through until March there's also one in Mallow on a Friday again the end of February into the middle of March free course open to everyone but you need to register by Friday week by contacting Anne-Marie on 086 787 The Transition Year Students at St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow they're presenting Dancing Queen it's tonight in the Amelian Theatre it starts at half past seven tickets available from the school and Canturk Bingo is on tonight the Dell Quinn Hall at half past eight bus leaving from the Mouse Trap in Mallow seven o'clock with pickups at Taylor's Corner Ballydeen Service Station, Drumahan Village, and Glantan. And the cost, cost of the bus, five euro. Court today on C103 with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go, Shortcastle Street, Mallow, smokeless coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We've been contacted by Shane, one of our listeners who is looking for a well, a pair of rugby tickets uh, for himself and his daughter. And he joins me on the programme to put the call out. And as he said in his email, it's a bit of a long shot. Uh, good afternoon to you, Shane. Good afternoon, I think. I'm very well. Now, tell us the story. It's your, what age is your daughter? Um, she turned six there in January. Um, so she's just, it'll be her first rugby game, you know. So... She kind of put me under pressure. <laughs> and <laughs> um, to be honest, I told her I would be hard pushed. And then on Sunday, I got a message that I had two tickets. Okay. And um, so I told her I had the two tickets that are phased it up, etc. And then they fell through. Oh, so, so that's where sure the big I, disappointment comes into oh, it. Oh, it is, yeah. And I, I like, I feel like I've let her down. And, you know, I made a promise. You know, and it's bad, bad enough breaking, breaking promises, but breaking a promise to your daughter. I know, I know. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, I can see where you're coming from. So then you went, to, did you go, you've, you've gone online and tried all that? Oh, I have, yeah. I had somebody, somebody from India try to scam me. Um, but, you know, through, through ticket sites, I've, I've done a lot of things to try and get them, to be honest. Um, I put out a Facebook appeal. And even the other day, I went on to one of these um, websites, you know, you can buy the tickets. I do. They're above, they're above asking price. And I was just, I was saying, geez, I can't let her down. And I I went away and I pressed buy on two tickets. And I don't know, thanks for the God, it went verified by Visa. And it just gave me that extra five seconds to say, Shane, what are you doing? Like, the tickets were coming in at right 620-something euro. So, uh, <laughs> that. that like when I had pressed by, I thought, yes, it's done. Look, I'll get over it. But then when he gave me the option, I said, oh, God, what are you doing? Thank, so thank God for, Vera, for Visa ver- Verify, for sure. <laughs> and when, when so, the 600-odd tickets, were they premium seats or were they just ordinary seats? Oh, God, no, no ordinary seats. And like they were on, I think it's Stub, 
Club Tickets UK or something. Like they were advertised at two hundred and four each. But when you go on then and you pay you go to further on down, you get caught for bath in it like eighty euro ticket, etc. And then there's charges as well on top of that. So that that brought it up to six hundred twenty four um euro if I can remember correctly. Shocking. Shocking. Going to take I, I was going to take the hit and no. I you know, I was sitting there and I just pressed the button and I said, Look, it's done now and then it went verified by Visa and I said, Oh God Maybe someone's looking out for me. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I certainly I, think that's that's just, and I know it's on a, on these websites, it's ticket touting, there's no other word for it. And on, on, until we get to the bottom of that and laws are brought in to stop it, it is so, so wrong because so many people do, so many people genuinely get caught out believing that it's the price yeah. of the ticket is only, is only when, when they get it. So we need to put, uh, is she a rugby fan? Well, she's a Johnny Sexton fan. Oh, yeah, bless her heart. <laughs> so... Yeah, and like um, I'm, I suppose I'm a single father. I suppose I play this violin, like so. I only get to see her every second weekend. Okay. And so you know, I I suppose I spoil her or whatever. But you know, it's actually falls on the weekend that I'm going up as well. So you know, I was just lining up perfect. But yeah, look, the stars, uh, the stars are aligning, but we just need to get the tickets to <laughs> to make the stars exactly. shine a, a little bit brighter. Now, I know, and, and it's it is a first world problem. I know. I know. I know. But listen, it's a first world problem, but it's important to you as as a dad, and it's important to your little girl. And there's that whole atmosphere of going to a match, and for her to remember forever that yeah, she went mem- to making memories. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, listen, we've put the call out, and you're willing to pay face value and all of that, and you can oh, meet. Yeah. I'll drive anywhere you'll travel anywhere to collect the tickets so we're putting the call out and we're putting it out to people you may you know today or tomorrow you may hear of somebody who has a spare pair of tickets anywhere at all in the stand for Shane and uh, his little uh, his little six year old uh, daughter okay we'll keep our fingers crossed and we'll keep in contact with you I appreciate that All right, take care bye bye All right, bye bye -bye. there's uh, Shane Trying to be dad of the year. And yeah, when you promise your kids something, you promise your kids something thinking it would be okay and then it wasn't. And I think it was the fact he did say to her at the outset, having to hope in hell of getting these tickets. But it's then when somebody said, oh, I have the tickets. And then he was able to tell her, you know, I'm taking you to the match we're going. And then those tickets fell through. And that's where it's, you know, he really feels he's leaving his little girl down. So it would be great. Please, 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 if anybody knows. I know. And, you know, he, Shane did say it at the start of his email. He says, I know this is a long shot. But I have nowhere else to turn at this stage. If anybody here is have two tickets going for the match on Saturday, please, please, please. We're pleading to you. Let us know. It would be great to get Shane and uh, his little girl off uh, to the match. 1850-333-103. John in Cove. This is um, trying to get your name off the Register of Electors. I've been on court. I've been on to Cork County Council about this says John in Cove. The excuse is that they must clear the old register and update the new one. And that takes five years to do it. They told me it's all computerised. So are you saying that if somebody goes and has a name removed that for five years it won't be removed? That that can't be the case. And if it's computerised, you think if somebody has gone to the bother, because there is a form that you can uh, you can fill in. But I think, and as I say, Stephen Teep is going to join us tomorrow. I think Stephen Teep's line is going to be, even if there was a form to fill in, 
the man had enough to be doing. He just lost his young wife. He was left with children. He's been a great advocate on behalf of other women for the Cervital Check uh, scandal. You know, is this just something else that you're asking the poor man to do? Do you know that that, that I know is going to be the point he's going to make uh, tomorrow? That this we've this just got to be an easier way, and we have to try and get around, make it easier for people so that they don't end up with this dreadful, dreadful situation of a loved one you're grieving you're ge- and for people who are getting over the death of a loved one and then suddenly this arrives in and you just bring people right back to start the grieving uh, all over again and actually talking of grieving and we were talking about cancer and we had a very positive story with Helene O'Brien earlier on the programme that prompted Ken to ring in uh, to say that Ken had now that obviously that name is wrong because it's she <sighs> So uh, the the name is wrong. wrong. Oh, unless you can have Ken, a lady called Ken. Anyway, this lady had a mammogram uh, done, and it was a month after or less than a month after is that she found a lump, and she ended up going into the oncology doctor. She said that she was then waiting two months on the public service to see an oncologist. She was in the end diagnosed with cancer, and it actually spread by the time she was diagnosed. It had gone to the lung and gone to the liver, and the point that. Uh, that Ken oh sorry Ken is speaking on behalf of somebody uh, it's a story he knows maybe it's a family member Uh, the point Ken is making is that when you get a mammogram done it's only a snapshot of that day and that women need to keep checking themselves um, because he doesn't want anybody to go through what his family went through so you know even though you get a mammogram and you get the word back from breast check for example to say everything's clear and you're happy and you're relieved that doesn't mean that you stop checking your breasts checking looking for lumps and if you see something feel something notice something different don't wait to say oh sure my mammogram is okay you need to go away and uh, get it checked thank you for that Ken uh, 1850 uh, Tim says the death certificate is issued by the HSE office which is an organ of the state surely there are enough clerks to notify the franchise office thank you Tim you're agreeing with me that was the point I was saying could we, there be a bit of joint up thinking uh, between the two from my listener says Patricia this is on the Liam and the alcoholic wife I know a husband and wife who live near me wife is a chronic alcoholic husband has an awful time with her she makes life very hard for him and their three children she doesn't go for any counselling or anything like that it's very upsetting sometimes to see some of the things she gets up uh, to and there's somebody from the outside seeing what's going on that's why I think Liam if he goes to look to his family he'll find that there is a lot of family members who will know exactly what's going on and I think will be there to support him and Tom in Middleton thought it was wrong to have Miriam O'Callaghan as one of the moderators on last night's debate because her brother is a high profile Fianna Fáil TD I saw people on Twitter giving out about that as well even though I don't think watching Miriam she's a total professional I don't think in any way she was biased for or against uh, Fianna Fáil last night OK going to take a break and we are back talking about a matchmaking event that's happening this weekend Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood, and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie. Just very briefly on the polling cards being sent out to people who have passed away, and it is an issue we're going to be dealing with in uh, more tomorrow because Stephen Teep uh, will join us. Margaret in Fairly- Fairhill has just been on to John Paul to say she was in a shop last week and a gentleman came in and she, they were chatting, and he was talking about the fact that his wife's polling cart had just arrived even though she had died four years ago and you know he was upset that this polling cart had arrived but the husband was making the point that three weeks after his wife died there was a knock on the door and there was some kind of a a TV licence inspector at the door 
looking for the free TV licence back. His wife had been entitled to a free television licence. But now that she'd passed away, they wanted the TV licence back and to say to this gentleman, you need to go now get your own uh, TV licence. The gentleman explained, my wife is only dead three weeks. I have so much things, I have so much to be sorting out at the moment. And the very kind TV licence inspector said, OK, well, we'll give you another two weeks. But can you give us back the licence now? Isn't that just what a shocking story? And yet they can't take people's name off the register of electors, but they're quick enough to call to a person's store to say you're no longer entitled to that television licence. Give it back to me. That really is just a shocking story. Absolutely shocking. Thank you to Margaret and Fairhill uh, for that. 1850-333-103. Now to something completely different. How do you fancy a bit of traditional matchmaking, Listoon Varna style, in a what's been described as a trial event uh, to target rural isolation? Willie Daly from Listoon Varna will be sharing his skills at the... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Strand Bar in Vicarstown this Friday night. Joining me to preview the event is Maureen O'Sullivan, who I'm told is going to be MC for the evening. Uh, good afternoon to you, Maureen. Good afternoon, Patricia, and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to get on the radio. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. Talk to me about the format that the night is going to take. Okay, so I've invited Willie Daly along because, as you know, he's a real celebrity up around the Liston Varn End. So basically what it is, it's targeting rural isolation because you have so many people out there at the moment, even though they're surrounded by technology, by everything, but they may feel isolated and lonely in their own lives, you know. So what I'm asking people is just make an effort to get out and come out and don't be waiting for somebody to come and find you because if you sit at home, nobody's going to come looking for you, I believe. Anything That's like true. Person, That's you know? true. And no one will come knocking on the door. You've got, no. to get, you've got to get out that door. Big, beautiful world out there and, yeah. and get out and make friends. Absolutely. So Friday night basically will be a trial night. I'm here in the Strand Bar in Motaha in Vickerstown and we have a great venue here and it's really versatile really to move the place around and make make it suitable for different occasions and so on. So it's I feel when you're in rural Ireland at the moment and even when you're in the pub business and all that type of thing, you need to do different things to get people in and people attract people. And how will Willie Daly do his matchmaking bit on the night, or do you know? On the night, Willie will ha- will bring his book, his so-called magic book with him. It's going to be more of a novelty night than an actual matchmaking okay. night. Because what I'm looking at um, for the reason is to actually get people to make friends, maybe move into a circle. The more friends you have, the more opportunity in life you have for getting out there, even if it's only going for a walk, joining somebody for a meal, all these type of things that are very, very important because everybody has a right to be happy. So that's what I'm looking at with this one. And Willie will be there on the night. And if you want to sign up with Willie, you can go ahead. What he does is he takes details of people, let them be as truthful as they possibly can. And um, then he will have a list of clients on his books and he tries to the best of his ability to cross, cross 
match people who are of similar backgrounds, ages, stuff like that. If you want to go down that route, Willie will be there with that service. But as well, we're going to have music and a bit of a dance and so on. And it's going to be a fun social night, basically. Okay, and it's a kind. it sounds to me like a kind of a night that you can go on your own because it can be very hard to go, to, to walk into a venue on your own. Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing that I think really needs to be addressed here. That's why on the night I would be MC, I would be the meet and greet, and I'm going to include people. Well that's the most important thing when you go somewhere that you're not like standing around. I wonder, will I sit there? Will I go over here? <laughs> what will I do, you know? All will feeling so awkward. And where will I go and who will I look and exactly. who will I talk to? So you'll, yeah. help, you'll help people out. I will. I'm going to meet everybody that comes in and say, hi, my name is Maureen. Um... What's your name? Where would you like to? Do you want to come over here and meet a few people? This is what's going on, well done. and so on. That's what I want to do. And also on the night, just as a bit of a novelty as well, Gemma is going to come along. Gemma Turner that went on first stage Ireland there, you know. Yeah. So she's become a little bit of a mini celebrity overnight. So really looking forward to have her coming out, and I think she's bringing her mum along and a few friends as well. So. Listen, we're going to have a fun night and I know we will and well that's done. what it's all about. Well done, you've, you've, you've put some effort into it. Have you been to Listoon Varna to the matchmaker? I go to Listoon Varna every <laughs> single year. I <laughs> love the place. They should actually put me on the Clare Tourism Board because I love it so much. The dancing is just magic and the crack up there. And have you, have you a man? Oh, I have. I've been married for years. I'm grand on the man end. <laughs> <laughs> and it is too it, much love in my life. Ah, what a great complaint! And it's but it's hugely. I mean, I don't know how Willie Daly does it, but I mean, he's it's hugely successful. He has made matches that have lasted. Oh, he has, but like he's, you know, he if people are honest with Willie, I'm sure he will be honest with them. Because if you think about it, honesty is the basis to everything. Because if you're going to really say what type of person you are, what you're looking for, then you know, that's, that's the first step, really, isn't it? It is. And, the, the, and we mentioned at the outset that this is a trial event. If it's successful, your plan is that you'll run more. Oh, yes, definitely. I would hope to have it maybe once every six weeks, two months, have a bit of a get-together and, you know, just have a bit of fun for people and somewhere to go. Because in the pub, like, we also have uh, chests and drafts and cards and I have a facility for all those things and you know we offer free tea and coffee to people that don't want to drink so you don't have to come and feel you're under the obligation to have a drink as well you know Is that the big problem is the drinking and driving it isn't is. it? It's just it it's is. yeah But the only thing about here is even though we are in rural Ireland and we're you know five miles outside Blarney if you ask can you come in the door listen I need to get a taxi at such a time we will order one for well done. you. Well done. If you go along and you wait until two o'clock in the morning and say, listen, I have to get out of here now, I need to go to Mallow or whatever, like, I'm not in Patrick Street, you can't get a taxi then, you know? Mm. Yeah. All right, but yeah. once it's booked, there is there is taxis there is available. There is a great yeah. taxi service available, there is. Uh, okay, so um, it's Vickerstown, it's this Friday night, any particular time? Uh, starting around nine o'clock, that's about the usual country time, and I'm in Motaha itself, opposite the church in Motaha, and right next door to the famous moving graveyard. So, <laughs> the, uh, the famous moving graveyard? Yeah. Have you heard the story, Patricia, about it? No, but you're going to tell us. I am going to tell you. Um, way back in penal times, uh, when 
you know, the religion and all that, the, the English tried to, I shouldn't be using those words actually, but yeah. when we were... Uh, yeah, they were trying to suppress body, the Catholic faith, yeah. Exactly. The priest was saying mass in the church in Motaha and um, an English captain called Captain Fox, he rode up on his horse, went into the church and beheaded the priest oh. as he was saying mass. So he ran out of the church, hopped on his horse, and he rode down the road towards the place that is now called Fox's Bridge. His horse reared in the air and threw them off, and he was killed. So then his body was taken over to the local graveyard, which was in then in Loch On, which is across the Shornock River, and he was buried there. But because of who he was, um, all the graves in the graveyard, according to folklore, um, they flew up in the air during the night, went across the Shornock River, and once stone can actually be seen in the river to this day. And they arrived in Malteha and they all landed in the graveyards in Malteha. So that is the story of the moving graveyard. And that's 100% true. Oh, absolutely. It was even featured on Creighton's <laughs> Atlas of Ireland there last <laughs> September. So it gave us all a nice little boost around the place. And you're right across in Mataha from the... I'm actually, my, my, um, I'm actually bordering and joined onto the graveyards. Our beer garden is on the graveyard wall basically is it? <laughs> yeah and it isn't a bit spooky or anything late at night no, no it's a great place honestly and the people around here are fantastic so anybody that comes on Friday night will be they will feel more than welcome and easy to blend in so I just hope it works out okay as I always say you have more to fear from the living than from the dead that's for sure, sure do, listen actually. it sounds like it's going to be a terrific night uh, Maureen we wish you luck with it and Thank let you. us know if you're doing another one we certainly would be um, more than willing to, get, to give it a mention for you but the Strand Bar in uh, Mataha outside of Blarney best of luck with it Thank you so much, Patricia, and thank you for your time. Thanks okay. for joining us. Bye-bye. That is uh, Maureen O'Sullivan, and she will be your host for the evening. She's a very, very friendly, friendly lady. So you'll be more than welcome uh, to the Strand Bar. We wish them luck with it. Anything that we can do to help and promote and to try to target rural isolation has got to be welcomed. Well done to everybody involved there. John Paul continues to take a course, 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 just seen a call in from Joe who this is um, Liam whose letter we read out and his wife who has unfortunately is battling addiction to alcohol and she's back on the drink having been sober for 10 years Uh, Joe says I was sober for 22 years and I had a slip it was 7 years to get back from the slip alcohol is such so cunning It's battling, it's powerful and it's a disease that tells you constantly in your mind that you don't have a problem. You take away the alcohol from that woman and she'd be a great woman. Yeah. A number of people are are making that point as well and I think probably Liam himself would say that that because she's able to put on this great act to everybody else outside. So, you know, within her there is a good person but unfortunately the demon drink has taken a hold of her and it's it's all coming back on, on, on Liam. He just feels he can't do it anymore. He just can't do it anymore. And until she wakes up, Joe, as you obviously did, but it did take you seven years to wake up and realise you were under the grip again of alcohol. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change in Liam's household. And I just don't know, looking at the level of distress in this letter and the desperation that he writes about in this letter, I just don't know how long more 
he can keep going. He, just like he's at the end of his, te- his tether. That's really what is coming out from, from that letter. But long may you continue to stay sober and you have a great understanding of what's going on in this house as well, which is, um, thank you for that. Thank you to somebody who said that the when we were talking about the beer garden being next to the graveyard, somebody said, I bet you that beer garden is deadly. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul, who produced Nick Richards for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel & Go. Short Castle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie Get weekly news, event updates and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click regional reports or download the C103 app and click podcasts. Regional reports only on C103. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.